0: Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices that we take for granted are out of date, illogical, or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room, and I'm here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a couple of F-bombs thrown in for good measure. Pilates Elephants is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher who really fucking knows your stuff. Welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. I am here with Phoebe Hayhoe. Welcome, Phoebe. Hey,
1: Ref. How are (laughs) you?
0: I'm really glad to be here with you. Nice, nice, to, uh, nice to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, Phoebe, you know, I'm looking forward to this conversation because we've, we we actually were going to talk about something completely different, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> just as we were texting back and forth, um, you know, just finalizing exactly what we're going to talk about, you just dropped this bomb of like, oh, by the way, I'm selling my studio at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, "Oh, we've got to talk about that. Let's talk about you selling your studio."
2: Um,
0: So this is an amazing opportunity for us to kind of catch, you know, catch you in the act of selling your studio in the moment. Like it's not the deal hasn't gone through yet, Um, and so to sort of catch your, you know, your thoughts, your emotions, your reflections. You know your experience of this process while it's totally present for you. So, um, yeah, I want to go back and ask you all about your journey of studio ownership and all the rest of it. Uh, but before we do that, uh, would you kindly introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, hey, I'm Phoebe. I own a studio in Auckland, New Zealand, which is called Matworks Pilates. Um, it originally started as a mat only. Uh, offering so hence the name <laughs> but we now have studio equipment where we teach on reformers cadillac barrel chair um yeah i am an ex professional dancer and kind of actually fell into the pilates industry by accident as dancers often do <laughs> um and so it's been a really interesting journey of um starting out with something that you just happen to be good at but don't necessarily love um, and turning into a, a lifelong love, so yeah, I'm really keen to to tell you more.
0: So this was sort of like the arranged marriage where you fell in love after after the wedding.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> it only took ten years.
0: <laughs>
1: just kidding.
0: Um, all right, so uh, so tell me about because I, I the reason I I think this conversation is so valuable. Well, firstly, I'm just really fascinated by. Pilates business and so I just thought wow this is an amazing opportunity for my personal interest to understand your journey but I think that you know something I've observed in a lot of instructors uh, is that you know a lot of us have this kind of ambition or desire to open our own studio at one point that's you know a lot of us dream of that and uh, I think you know before I opened a studio I didn't know what the fuck it was going to be like, I, I had no <laughs> idea. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of us. <laughs> so, so, <sure. laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I, I really want to um, just have a frank discussion about the the ups and downs, the, the highs and lows of owning a studio and, and your journey and what, you know, why you got into it, why you're getting out of it, you know, what you would do different if you had your time over, you know, your advice, tips and tricks for new people, you know, considering it um all of that kind of stuff um so yeah so tell us like how long did have you had the studio and and why you know tell us about the what kind of the 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 genesis of it
1: yeah cool um all right well i have owned matworks for seven years now but i've been instructing for about 10 um and basically i went to dance school in auckland um got a degree in contemporary dance, um, and then was faced with the big wide world and what do I do with myself now in a tiny country where there is one full-time dance company which has six jobs available and doesn't have to change its dances every year. Um, so I started freelancing and uh, was at a workshop actually with a friend who was an a Pilates instructor. In Auckland and she was just telling me about how great it was as a career because she could teach early in the morning and then go do her dance rehearsals during the midday and then go back to work again in the evening and it just meant that she was getting a decent amount of money but not having to work ridiculously long hours and miss out on rehearsals or classes so I was like oh yeah that sounds like a really good time like maybe I should look into this myself and at the time, my only experience of Pilates was that I'd done a couple of mat classes uh, with a lady that we used to call Nana at, at dance school. <laughs> and my impression of it was that you basically just lie on the ground whilst somebody talks to you about sleeping kittens.
2: <laughs> and sounds sounds please, pretty accurate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, not. Try not to disturb the sleeping kitten um so so yeah i was kind of i don't know going into it with like a bit of a blank slate i guess and um didn't really know what to expect and i got this awesome opportunity to have some in-house training with a company in auckland um and basically they trained you for a month on all five apparatus and uh you didn't get paid during that month, but then as soon as you started working, you got paid and you just had to commit to the company for a year and a half and that paid for your training. So it was really like, so so risk-free going into it. You didn't have to spend $5,000 straight off the bat and then pay that back, you know? So yeah, I did that. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it to a certain extent I think because I um, am a real people person I really love like connecting with people and that was the side of the teaching that I really enjoyed and I think I was just naturally good at it as well Um, and you always kind of enjoy something that you're good at more don't you I actually um, I started my first business when I was 16 years old and I really wanted to go to Germany on a school trip And my mum said to me, if you want to go, then you have to fund your own way there. So I was like, God, how am I going to make like $6,000 in six months time? And she said to me, why don't you just teach dance to some kids? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. And then she kind of ran the figures for me and showed me that if I got like 30 students and charged them a hundred bucks each per term, that within six months I would have six grand. And I was like, that just seems too easy. Okay, let's give it a go. <laughs> and I tried and it was awesome and it was that successful. Um, and that was my first kind of taste of how easy it could be, <laughs> kind of naive taste of how easy it could be <laughs> to to make some money. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got into Pilates. I was doing pretty well at it, but um, didn't really have this like sense of, fulfillment from it I was just kind of I loved moving and I was trying to help these people to also love moving but it was really different for them you know when you teach a dance class people are there because they love the art form of dance and so they're kind of like hanging off of your every word or really engaged with their body and with the class and what it is that you have to say and I found that when I was teaching Pilates, I was teaching, you know, people who had just been at work for eight hours and just wanted to come lie down on a bed and have someone else tell them to do, tell them what to do for once. Um, and sometimes, you know, not even listening, just kind of like if your arms were moving, their arms were moving because their brain had switched off. <laughs> um And so I I decided actually that I was going to take a break from teaching Pilates and just like full-time pursue my dance career. And I actually moved to Melbourne and started dancing in Melbourne and absolutely loved it. Um, And then for various personal reasons, I needed to come back to New Zealand. And then I came back and I thought, I kind of need a new reason to be here. I don't want to just go straight back into what I was doing before. Um, what could that be? And I had this ambition, I think my whole life I've been quite tenacious and, and that's like definitely served me with this career, but I really wanted to be able to go back into dancing full time and not worry about whether I made any money from it or not. And I thought, okay, well, what if I could use Pilates to try and build myself a semi-passive income so that I could have the studio and other people could teach the classes for me and it could make enough money that I could maybe live off of it. Um, And then I could just do some operation stuff when I can, and then I can go dance as much as I want to. And so I was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to start a business. Why not? (laughs) um and my brother he had actually studied business and was chatting this through with me and was like you know it could take you like five years till you get to that point Phoebs and I was like yeah no, whatever I'll get there in two it'll be fine (laughs) just absolutely blind didn't know what I was getting myself into but just had a goal and was determined that I was going to get there so I um in the process of kind of working at this other studio, I had been teaching in some quite like affluent areas. And one of the things that often really bugged me about Pilates was the stigma around it that like, you can only do it if you're a thin Caucasian woman and you do it in a bra top, (laughs) you know? Um, and I just, I was like, how how could, how could I have an impact on this industry? Like if I'm going to go into it and try and do the best that I can, what is that goal going to be of mine? And I decided that I really wanted to focus on making Pilates more accessible and more affordable for people. But I also needed to make it make me an income. So I started out with just um, – running some corporate classes like finding some corporate clients making sure that I got a decent number of clients committed to every class so that then I could charge at a lower price point and it was accessible because I was coming to them affordable but I was still earning an okay wage
0: because you learn from your mother and your brother presumably to do the math and just like yeah. okay well, if you if you charge a lower price but get more people in the room that can work out well
1: That can work out totally. And as long as I was earning more than what I would have been earning teaching for somebody else, I was quite happy. So I started with that. Then I also started doing some one on ones in people's homes. And they were kind of, you know, various people that I had maybe met at a corporate class who then wanted to do a one on one session. And I charged more than what I would have earned if I was teaching by myself, but not as much as what someone would have paid if they were going to a studio, mm-hmm. because I felt that those costs that are built in from owning a studio weren't applicable. Um, and so that was suiting me quite well. And I, I ran the business for my first year completely by myself. And I think um, in hindsight- And at hindsight, this
0: stage, you, did, you didn't have a premises. This was just you teaching no corporates. In people's
1: literally homes. living out of my car yeah my car was an absolute bombshell and like to give you some funny visuals um I decided that I really wanted a set of foam rollers because I loved foam rollers and you know I was only doing mat with people so I was like I want a tool I bought these this set of 10 foam rollers and you know how yoga mats come with like a strap around them I took the straps off my yoga mats and I tied them to the end of the foam rollers. So they now had a handle and I fit 10 foam rollers in one hand and then a <laughs> massive suitcase full of mats in the other. And I was just like power walking along Queen street with these foam rollers over my shoulder. I just must've looked like a lunatic probably still do, but whatever. Um, yeah. So I was doing that. I was doing the one-on-ones Um and then in my first year, I managed to make like $35,000. And for me, having come off like $17,000 the year prior, I was like, wow, look at me go. I managed to double my income. This is awesome.
0: And so you were like how, roughly how many hours, hours a week were you teaching at this point?
1: At that point, I reckon I was doing about 20 to 25.
0: And is that including the travel time?
1: Yes. And to put it into perspective, I charged only like $60 a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get most of my stuff in the city so that I could have less time traveling between. And I and did manage to get like some people within the same building, for example, and be able to run them back to back.
0: And what's the population of Auckland?
1: Oh, no idea.
0: Like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to, my guess would be like a million-ish.
1: Yeah, I think it's a million-ish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was going okay. And then I just thought to myself, um, over the summertime, how, how can I get some more clients? I really need to get some more clients. I'm not reaching my goal fast enough and I'd love to be able to start employing people at some point. And I was doing some research online and I researched about, um, boot camps for whatever reason and that that was a great way of like not having to pay for a premise but being able to host people for classes and I was like yeah cool that's a great idea did my research doesn't cost you anything to do it in New Zealand so I decided to set up a timetable
0: there's boot camps in the park you're talking about yeah, yeah so
1: Pilates classes in a park I picked two different parks um and I set up this timetable of like Seven classes a day, six days a week. So I was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to like bust my guts doing this, but it's going to be awesome. And that's then 40,
0: that's 42 classes a week, Phoebe.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it was, I was dead by the end of this.
0: Oh,
2: shit. Um,
1: but I was also like 25, you know, I was oh, like, yeah. I've got all the energy oh, in yeah. the world. <laughs> um, yeah. And I charged people, get this, only $30 for the entire. 6 weeks.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. Crazy. Like absolutely crazy. So I knew that I was only earning like a dollar per class. Like per per client per class kind of thing or maybe even less in some. But I really wanted to be able to generate a relationship with these people and I knew that in order for them to commit to doing pilates with me and to really become my clients they had to fall in love with me. And I also knew that if they were able to do it for long enough that they could see some progress and see some results, that that would really help to strengthen their connection with me and their want to stay with me. So that's what I did. And I was there at 7 a.m. every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. (laughs)
2: Um, But you look forward to
1: Sundays. Yeah. (laughs) I managed to get myself 100 new clients that summer. And I would say out of those 100 new clients, like maybe 45% of them were like really committed to the Mm. point that they asked me whether I would find a community center for us to be able to continue doing classes together.
0: Mm. Where did you get get those clients?
1: I literally was in the park all day didn't go home in between and, and i just, just saw walked you. around yeah. yeah i had signs i had flyers i tried to have conversations with people and ask them hey to you feeding the
0: pigeons pilates. ever thought of doing pilates
1: Precisely. yes you with the little
0: kids <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: over here <laughs> i even went to the extent of like making homemade smoothies and giving them away for free and giving them away with a flyer you know And like going into shops and talking to people working in the shops and yeah, I just did everything. So that seemed to work pretty well for me and then I moved all of those people who were willing to commit and had seen what results they could get by attending multiple times a week. I managed to get them into memberships and I kept the memberships still pretty cheap, but That just meant that if I had X number of people signed up to the membership, then I had X amount of money per week that was coming in from running these classes and it made it way easier to figure out, okay, so I can afford to pay this much on hiring the community center three times a week. And if I hired it multiple times, I got a bit of a discount. And, you know, it it just gave a way clearer idea of how much money I was going to earn rather than if I had just done a bunch of 10 trips. I think that that would have made it a lot more difficult.
0: And you just set that up as an automatic uh, payment through some payment processor online, right?
1: Yeah, and I actually signed up for Mind Body straight away, but it was back in the day when it was actually kind of affordable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was lucky that I'd signed up to it so early.
0: All right. And so so now you're teaching in the community center. You've got 40 or 50, you know, clients on a membership. You're teaching three sessions a week, shoehorning all those people into three sessions a week. Yep, Um, pretty much. Three
1: sessions a week, but two different locations. So it was actually about six.
0: Okay. Uh, so you've you've reduced your number of classes by six-sevenths.
1: Yep. <laughs> Significant amount. <laughs> <enough. laughs>
0: um, all right. And so uh, how did you progress to opening a brick-and-mortar studio?
1: Yeah, cool. Um, so then after that, I got to the stage where I had a few too many clients um, for my capacity. So I started hiring some staff and to begin with, I didn't want to hire anyone who was already trained because I didn't think I could afford them. So I actually just found a girl that I had taught dance to at some point along my journey. And she was really keen to become a Pilates instructor. So I did exactly with her what had been done with me, and I trained her myself. And she basically just followed me around for a month, and we fit training in between all of my clients. And so she got to have some really good, like, hands on experience and um, a lot of assistant teaching practice. And I had a whole month to just teach her the mat, and I'd only had a month to learn all five apparatus so I felt like she was getting quite a thorough understanding within a month um yeah and then that just grew so over the next four years I got more staff and more staff and progressed and got more clients and more community centers and we built to five different locations as well as doing all of the mobile visits and um got to the point where we were kind so, of making. Sorry, I'm,
0: I just want to double click on this for a second. Tell me yes. how much you're making in a second. Hold that thought. Where did all these clients come from?
1: Word of mouth, a lot. Um, I continued networking as much as I could. So I joined things like the Venus Business Network, um, which is like a women's business networking event thing. Uh I did as much marketing as I could. Um, I signed up with a business mentor. And she actually.
0: What marketing did you do? Flyers, Google ads, Facebook?
1: Lots of that. Because we had five community centers, I was able to send stuff out through their newsletters. I was Mm -hmm. able to put posters up in the community centers. Um, I did a lot of like flyer dropping, and I paid my staff $20 an hour to walk around the streets in the vicinity of the community centers while they were waiting for their class to start or afterwards. Um, Facebook ads.
0: How many flyers would you give out on a typical run?
1: I would give them about 250 and just say, do as many as you can in an hour or whatever it was. And this was like three
0: days a week, basically?
1: Yeah, that kind of thing and so we we had a so I, map that they would mark off where they had gone
0: right so over over the course of a month over your five locations like how many flyers roughly kind of sort of would you would you hand out
1: i th- i would print like about 1250 at a time mm-hmm. give those out to the girls and then wait until they'd run out of them essentially um mm-hmm. yeah and we wouldn't do it every single month um but it definitely made an impact
0: Mm -hmm. and then Facebook as well. And then you were were just going to tell me how much you were earning.
1: Yeah. So we managed to go from my measly 30-ish grand in the first year um, to 72 in the second and 118 by the third. And this is turnover, so like what we brought into the business. And then by the fourth year, uh, that was when I had this opportunity come about to be able to purchase a studio.
0: And um, so, sorry, at that point, with the when you're at 118 in revenue, mm. how much of that, roughly, kind of sorta, of was profit at the end of the year? Because you're paying these instructors, and you're buying flyers, and you're paying for Facebook ads, and buying renting halls, and all the rest of it. So, once you've done all of that, how much was left over?
1: yeah absolutely. Um, I managed to make a profit of about twelve grand the first two years after having paid all my expenses and myself, mm-hmm. and in the third year, we just broke even
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um but we you were paid for your teaching though I was paid for my teaching, yeah, yeah, I wasn't making the mega bucks <laughs> um and I definitely wasn't making the like passive income that I thought I would, but I was still happy that it was growing,
2: yeah.
0: And yeah I think uh my experience also is growth often comes at the expense of profit
1: mm. absolutely, especially because the more money that you put into marketing that that's kind of um one of those things that brings about something positive the next year, yeah if you spend more this year, you'll get the results next year, so you don't always see it in the same profit and loss,
0: yeah, all right, and so you you did that for four years, yeah. And, and then, yes, yeah, so how did the opportunity come up or why did you decide you wanted to open a, a brick-and-mortar place of your own?
1: So, uh, like I said, my brother, he actually studied finance and business. Um, and he, in the same year that I bought my studio, just bought his first company. And I was talking to him about this and I was like, why did you buy somebody else's business instead of starting your own? And he just explained, well, you know, the business is already making money. It's hopefully already generating a profit. And so you get to go, yes, you have to take a big loan to be able to buy it, but you get to go straight into earning yourself a wage and earning money to be able to pay that loan back. And so he was like, you know, somebody else has done all of the hard work for you. Just think back about like Mm. all that time you spent in the park handing out flyers somebody's already done that and you just get to step into something and use your skill set to make it better and hopefully be able to make it even more profitable and I thought oh yeah that makes a lot of sense like why didn't I just do that (laughs) and but also I didn't really have an appetite for risk when I was 25 years old I wasn't about to go get a $30,000 loan and be able to start my own business with a loan like I actually started my business with zero money whatsoever and I just started with one-on-ones and I did enough one-on-ones until I needed to buy some mats and then I saved up enough money to buy mats and then I did it and so I always it was a very slow journey because I never wanted to get myself into debt so I always had to wait until I'd made enough money to be able to afford the next thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that that was a really valuable life lesson to learn and to go through something that's ch- challenging like that. But then um I, I guess I was just scrolling through Facebook one day and this studio came up um say uh, this post came up from a studio owner in Remuera saying that she was wanting to sell her business and was anyone interested in buying it. Um and I think it was like here's the Trade Me link. Uh, and so I just kind of had had these conversations with my brother, could see the benefit of buying another business and talk to him about it and was like, what do you reckon? Should I should I inquire? Like, I kind of feel like I'm ready for a new challenge. And I also feel like this business is actually ticking away pretty nicely right now to the point that I could actually step out and not be teaching as much. I've got the infrastructure around it that I could do that. So um, he was like, oh, absolutely, every opportunity is worth pursuing. You just have to hold it lightly because you don't want to get your heart so set on the idea that you're going to own this business and then have it not, not come to pass. So I, I did do that. I inquired. I always kept it in the back of my mind that I might not want to buy this business or she might not want me to own it. And the more I looked into it, the more I could see all of these different areas where I thought I could make a big impact and all of the benefits that would come from owning a studio. And, um... And, and basically it was my ticket to being able to get that passive income that I always wanted because I'd only managed to squeeze so much out of the existing mm. business that I had. But if I doubled the amount of turnover and then saved some costs like on MindBody where, mm. you know, I could be paying for it twice per studio or I could just link them together and pay for it once and all these other kind of similar Costs yeah, that could have right, been. Right, because each
0: extra location in my Body, it's all coming back to me now. Each yeah. extra location is a whole other instance that you have to pay for of my Body. Yeah. You had it's five locations.
1: Bullshit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I, I just I had a workaround. Instead of um, having those five different locations, I had one location, but the name of the class was the location. Uh-huh. It was a street yeah. address. And my so fact. Yeah, that made it way easier. <laughs> Especially because it wasn't, like, 20 classes a week at yeah. one location, you know. It
2: was yeah.
0: only, like, three or four. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so so you you uh, looked at this um, Pilates studio that you're interested in buying, and you did the maths, and you realized that uh, with the economy of scale, you could run more classes with the same fixed ascent. Well, you know, obviously, some of your overheads go up, but basically, the rent, you know, was fixed, or yeah. the uh, whatever, the lease. Um and so you figured, ah, here's my opportunity to make that the the proverbial passive income. Yeah. Um. And so, what year was this, by the way?
1: So okay. I bought the studio in 2018, halfway through the year, uh-huh. and then I ran them separately for a year.
0: Huh, you um, Ran both the the I the, did. the community centres and the studio.
1: Yeah. And the reason I decided to do that actually was because of some of my brother's advice, which was basically not to rock the boat in the new studio until they had a relationship with you. And I think that was really valuable advice because if I had come in and just started making changes left, right and center, I think I would have lost a lot of people just out of the pure, like, (laughs) you know, principle of it. But, um, yeah, I I took my time to get to know them, to get to know my staff, to see how it ran, to see what was good about it and what was bad about it. And um, and then eventually, once I felt like I had everyone on board and on side, I decided to merge the two together so that they would all become Matworks. I
0: think and that's really though- valuable advice. And if, if anyone's listening to this and considering buying an existing studio, I think that's you should really – go back and replay that and listen to it about five more times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um that you've
0: got to build that trust with the existing clients because you've got to earn it. You know, they yeah. they might they'll they might give you a they might give you the opportunity to earn their trust, but they're not going to give you their trust straight away. Um, mm. so yeah, I really, and people are
1: just very resistant to change, even if it is good change and it just takes them a while to see it. So mm. they're more likely to get on board with it if they feel like you have their best interests at heart. Mm. And all of them were just terrified that I was going to raise the prices mm. for about the first two months. That was the only question I ever answered was, are the prices going up? <laughs> um, and the answer was no it's just staying exactly the same i just want to get to know you guys all
0: right and so after a year you decided to merge them uh so what so that looked like adding more classes to the studio and stopping the the community center classes right
1: not really um so it it was mainly just a change of name a change of oh, website and it. an online presence thing mm-hmm Um, and we kept offering still all of the same services. I just had to kind of rename them. So Mm -hmm. I renamed everything that happened at the studio as Matworks Premium and renamed everything that happened out in the wild (laughs) as Matworks Mobile. Um, Yeah. And, and that kind of worked, but it also kind of confused people. And I would say that there are still some people who are like, what's Macworks mobile? I don't don't get it, (laughs) you know? And I think that's because there doesn't, there isn't always crossover between the two platforms. Yeah. However, there has definitely become more crossover um, in the last year, mainly because COVID happened and my idea of being able to generate this awesome passive income um, kind of went out the window with the negative effects of COVID. Mm. Um, and I know, you know, everyone suffered from it and I just feel like it's, you know, like a massive tip of the hat to anyone who's still open right now because there are a lot of studios that haven't survived and it's nice to be able to take a moment and congratulate yourself every once in a while that was one of the best things I think I learned from the mentor that I used was I would never stop and celebrate and she would stop me and say go and buy a bottle of champagne come back here once you've got it and we're going to toast to your success because Otherwise, it just feels like an up upwards slog all the time.
0: Yeah, because you're always focused on that next goal. As soon as you achieve one thing, you're like, "Okay, great, what's next?" And yeah, totally it's really easy to 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 lose sight of all of the things that you've achieved
1: that you have achieved. And especially, I don't know about you, but running your own business is very all consuming. And I know that you can kind of imagine that it must be, but it literally is. Like every single time that you're not teaching or doing some admin or texting somebody you're thinking oh what what could I be doing that I haven't done that I need to do or how could I make this better or oh, I've got this idea how can I implement that and literally it's quite hard to actually just switch it off for Mm -hmm. a moment and have some downtime um so yeah to to actually celebrate the things that you have achieved is super important
0: Mm, sounds like some of the things that you achieved uh, from the sounds of things were, I mean, okay, I think passive income, I reckon that's a bit of a myth actually, but
2: yeah, um,
0: <laughs> sorry if you're listening to this, that's just broken your heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, but I think some of the things that you did, it sounds like you really did do well were because you did create not a passive income machine because that's i don't think that's real but i think you created a machine that worked to a large extent without you having to be the one you know pushing it the whole time so it sounds like you had people that did a lot of the grunt work for you in terms of i don't know i'm just guessing here cleaning admin i don't know whatever but um uh yeah so so what what did your What did your job description look like? Now, I know, you know, I mean, I know you, like you said, you're thinking about it all the time, but it's like, Mm -hmm. what actual tasks were you doing on a daily basis as the business owner at that point?
1: Um, So I had the fortunate opportunity to be able to just not teach whatsoever when I first ran, uh, when I first bought the new studio. And then I could just step in there and be there and get to know people and kind of run this not really existent receptionist desk and be on the emails and yeah, be able to just manage the place and see what needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was an awesome opportunity. And I put that down a lot to the amazing staff that I had at the time and how diligent they were, how hard, hardworking they were.
0: So it was really client contact, right? So basically just interfacing with the customers to understand, to sort of get to know them basically.
1: Yeah. And I, I had the time to do things like go through the mind body that I'd just been given with all this, you know, 15 years worth of data and and go through it and research and look at what worked in the past and what didn't and contact old clients who had dropped off and introduce myself to them and send out surveys and, you know, like do all the things that you wish you had time to do that you never normally have time to do. And so that was awesome. And then I decided like um, there were no stretch classes at the studio and I personally really love stretching. And I was like going along to these classes, watching these clients and the new studio had a lot of like older clientele who were just by nature stiffer. Um, And I was like, I'm going to start running some, some stretch classes because I've got the time to, and I want to, and it would be a good way to get to know people. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it felt like a privilege to be able to make the decision to teach rather than teach out of the necessity to teach. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that went, went on for a wee while and then I started putting my finger back in the teaching pie more and more. And I think I realized throughout that journey that actually I don't really like being behind the desk doing all of the client management and emailing and admin and I actually hate social media and I wish that I didn't have to do it. And so I got to recognize that actually that those things are not my personality type. And I I was better off outsourcing them because somebody else who does actually like doing it is going to do it better than I would. Um, So yeah, so I managed to find someone to do my social media for me and would still have marketing meetings with them, but they were kind of very independent. And I found a girl who really liked doing the admin and she had a young baby at home and it really suited her not to have to come into the studio and teach anymore. So that was great because she knew all about the studio and about Pilates and could answer specific questions, but also enjoyed doing it. Mm-hmm. Um and then I just started slowly wearing that Pilates teacher hat more and more um and getting my own clients into the studio instead of having to go out and about but I definitely still did a bit of both um for a couple of years I did a bit of in the studio and mobile Um yeah and then I guess after that you know covid hit um that really changed the landscape for everybody. We had to go into lockdown and teach everything online. And I found a lot of staff made big life decisions after lockdowns, you know, like come back from lockdown and five of the staff have decided they don't want to be Pilates instructors anymore or they want to do it, but they're moving cities. Um, So we had a lot, like a couple of years of a really changing landscape. Uh, And we just had to adapt to that. Um, And I I think always for the better. Like I've always managed to somehow uh, get amazing people to gravitate towards me and and really have never been afraid of investing time into people. Um, And over over my seven years of running my business, I worked out the other day that I've personally trained one-on-one for a month uh, over twenty people. Wow. Yeah. And they haven't all stayed with me, you know? Like that is that is a part of it. But I wanted to be able to really get to know them, to have a relationship with them. I wanted them to feel that I always had time for them, that I was never too busy um to have a conversation with them or to invest in them. Um And I really wanted them to have an environment where they felt safe to be able to ask questions, to be able to not know the answers and empowered to figure it out or, you know, come to me and we'll figure it out together. Um, So I I feel like that environment, um, you know, I, I think some people wouldn't value that and they would see that you'd Spent time on 20 people that had not stuck with you, for example. But I just feel like what you give to your staff bleeds through your staff into your clients' experiences. And that was what was important to me.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So that pretty much brings us up to the start of the pandemic. Yeah. And so, presumably, you had to close the studio and you went on into online. Classes. Did you go into online? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yep, we did.
0: Um, and, and I also know there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened uh, in your personal life then. So you started studying with us in the diploma recently, or mm-hmm. six months ago or something. Yep. And you had back surgery at one yep. point.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Um, and
0: it's not just the surgery because people say, Oh, you had surgery. It's like, no, it's the freaking rehab that's the hard bit, you know? Yeah,
1: the- totally. <laughs>
0: um, so- and actually,
1: for me, the rehab's almost been the easy part. Like it was the year and a half wait. It was the pain
0: before the And the pain, yeah, yeah. That
1: was the hard part for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it was actually in the first lockdown that I um, got an MRI done of my spine and had this terrifying diagnosis of a degenerate disc at L5S1. And um I just had like the typical response, right? Like bawled my eyes out, was like, oh my God, I'm never gonna get to dance again, regardless of whether I wanted to dance again or not, you know? <laughs> and um and had this weird conversation with the surgeon who said, you know, um, This has probably been going on for about 15 years and, um, uh, 30% of 30 year olds are going to have degeneration. So it might go away in six months time or it might not. For a lot of people in this condition, the pain will come and go and you might have like bursts of three months worth of back pain and then none for a year or whatever, um, But basically, let's just give it some time, see what happens, and then come back to me in six months. And if you're still really not feeling very good, we'll look at your other options. Um, So yeah, so I was like, okay, wow, can't believe that that must have been going on for like 15 years. That's a long time. Um, Maybe I'll make some life changes and see if that can help and um, decided that I would try and take a bit of time off work and start swimming as well as doing Pilates and see if the combination of swimming and Pilates made an impact. Uh, and then I went to see another surgeon for a second opinion and he told me that he thought I was kinesiophobic and um, that I just needed to work on accepting that I was in pain and moving through it. Um And suggested that I maybe try some PRP treatment. Um,
0: People skills.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Really great. (laughs) Felt so supportive. Um, So I kind of was just like a bit, feeling a bit like I was on my own with it and not really sure where to head to. Um, So I just kept kept going, really. Like I was just like, oh, well. It's
0: funny that, I mean, it could well be that what both of those surgeons said was, you know, in one sense, factually accurate. Now, I I can't make a judgment on the kinesiophobia thing, but, you know, it may well be that it was factually factually accurate. But it was, whether it was or wasn't accurate, it was delivered in such a way that it had a massive negative effect on your confidence and your self-efficacy.
1: Self-efficacy,
0: absolutely. So it's like the fact that that it was true or not is almost becomes irrelevant to mm-hmm. <laughs> to the outcome of that conversation
1: yeah yeah and it makes you reflect on how important it is your delivery of information yeah. and and yeah and recognizing that the human in front of you has emotions that need addressing they can't just yeah. be given facts and left to it yeah yeah Um, so then I spent like another year and a half, basically, um, having a big fight with ACC about whether my current state was caused by an accident or not. And
2: what's ACC? Uh,
1: ACC is Accident Compensation in New Zealand. So government, um, Mm -hmm. pay for your treatment if it is an injury or an accident. Um, yeah, and they, and because this first surgeon had said, oh, this is degeneration, they had decided that that was not worth covering. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I was bawling my eyes out every time I got a, another decline letter from them. And that went on for about a year, which was a really taxing process. And then in, in the same time, the pain started getting a lot worse and a lot more disabling. And Looking back on it now, I think a lot of that had to do with my mindset.
2: And the stress Um, of dealing
0: with the freaking ICC. Yeah,
1: and that stress, totally. Um, And so I I ended up on some pain medication, which actually made me depressed, but I didn't realize that it was making me depressed because I didn't know that that was a side effect of it. So I spent about eight months kind of doing barely nothing, teaching a couple of classes a day just to make sure I had a finger in the pie. But um, a lot of that time was just like spent in my bed feeling sorry for myself. Um, And then I finally talked to somebody about it and realized that the medication was playing a massive role um, and got my medication changed and started to feel a lot better pretty instantly just from the difference of medication.
2: You you
0: uh, started down a road of like in towards a really Crime dark city. place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like you got some very bad medical support, and then you had those a double C. You know, bureaucrats fuck you around,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and you know, then you had this medication that <laughs> made you depressed like you were heading towards like, you know, serious chronic pain situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was a bizarre experience for me because I'm fortunate enough to never have experienced depression before that in my life and not even really struggled with my mental health that much. And I know that I'm very much not the norm there. Um, But I'm actually really grateful for the experience. Because now I can understand what it does feel like to literally have zero motivation, to not even want to get up and have a shower, and can just relate so much more with how disabling pain can be for a person. I think that really um, informs the way that I now approach dealing with clients and Mm -hmm. my empathy towards them. So I, I wouldn't change it to be honest, I wouldn't go back and give myself a different me- medication because I think I learned a lot. Mm. Um, yeah. And and it's cool that I got to come out the other side of it as well and, um, and get to have a, a happy end to the story. <laughs>
0: and you started the diploma somewhere in there as well. Was that when you came off the medication?
1: Yeah, it was after I'd come off the medication – I'd managed, once I got off the medic- medication, I'd managed to start teaching a bit more again and was enjoying being back at work. And um, one of my staff members, shout out to Ruchi, she uh, did the diploma. Shout out Ruchi. It, was, it was a funny journey, actually, towards that where... During the first lockdown in New Zealand, uh, something popped up on my Facebook from Breathe Education saying, hey, are you sitting around doing nothing during lockdown? Why not do this anatomy course? It's free. Here's the link. So I was busy writing a newsletter to my staff members about what they should do with their time off. And uh, that came up. So I sent it off to them and I said, Hey, use your time wisely. Here you go, learn something. And Ruchi signed up to it and absolutely loved what she learned and then found you guys and um, decided, I'm going to start this diploma. And so she kept it quite hush hush. I'm I, thinking back on it, I'm like, How did you keep all that information to yourself for so long? <laughs> But she just kind of trucked away at it and enjoyed it and mentioned things to me every once in a while. And while I was going through this really rough time, she would occasionally send me nice little like screenshots of one of the pages of her lecture notes from that week that applied to me and tried to give me little like tidbits of information that she thought might be helpful. And then another of my staff members um, who's also doing the diploma with me right now, Emily Moffat. She had been Shout in the Emily. UK. Shout out, Emily. Whoop whoop, best staff member ever, ever. Um, she had been in the UK and had heard about you guys and listened to all your podcasts and done everything that she could that was free. And was like, man, this stuff is good, Phoebe. Like, how have you not switched on to this yet? And so when she came back to New Zealand and we got to have more conversations in person and then we hung out with Ruchi and then all three of us would just be talking about this content and this like new way of teaching, um, they both just fully convinced me that it was something that I should really look into and would be worthwhile doing. And then Emily and I were like, shall we do it together? Then we'll have a buddy and it'll be really nice. And so we signed up for the diploma um, and that was in August in 2021. And we'd just gone into another lockdown here in New Zealand. So it was actually awesome timing because both of us were just sitting at home teaching kind of one, two classes a day online and spending the rest of our time devoted to learning this new stuff, which I think was particularly helpful for the first module we did, which was the lower extremity. There's a lot of content in there, but it's so great. So it was nice to have the time to be able to get your head around it. And then I finally went in for surgery uh, in November um, of 2021. So I kind of expected that I would have like, I don't know why, but I thought I'd be in bed for like six months, you know, like unable to move, just like pass me this, pass me that. I've just had back surgery. Um, but I was like so stoked with my recovery. It was so quick. Uh, and I I definitely attribute a lot of that to my mentality going into it because I'd already started the diploma and I could see that what your expectation of your outcome is has a massive impact on what the actual outcome is I just knew that if I went into it with this really positive mindset and just knew or just told myself like this was going to be life-changing and this was going to make a huge difference to my pain that I would be better off. And there was no harm from thinking like that. So that's what I did. And I I ended up with a different surgeon to the other two that I had seen, um, one that I had much better rapport with. And he just gave me really great advice. Like my only goal for the first six weeks was to try and be able to walk for an hour a day on flat ground by six weeks. So in the first week, I did 10 minutes a day every day and in the second week 20 and in the third 30 and so on until I was walking for an hour at six weeks and just doing that simple motion, like gets everything that needs to be strong, stronger and gives your tummy time to relax. I was unfortunate that I had a a anterior approach to my surgery. So I have a nice big scar down my tummy. Whereas I guess most people would have a um, posterior approach. Um, But yeah, and then the next six weeks was do the same thing, but walk up and down hills. And to be honest, by the first six weeks, my surgeon had said to me, don't go back to work for six months. And I guess that's kind of where the I'm going to be lying in bed for six months came from. Um, But by the first six weeks, I felt so good that I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to take it easy and I'm not going to demonstrate a whole bunch of stuff. But to be honest, the majority of my work anyway is standing around, walking up and down a room, talking to people. So I did. And I think that that really sped everything up for me because instead of lying on a couch all day long and going for one walk a day, I was walking around all day long and then sitting Mm. down for a short period of time.
0: I think a lot of times those um, post-surgical rehab recommendations are very over-conservative. I was told um, after my shoulder surgery, don't lift anything above four kilos uh, for <laughs> the first six months. It's like I'm doing freaking full body weight pull-ups with a 16-kilo kettlebell at like five months, you know.
2: So <laughs> It's it, ridiculous. Yeah, it is
0: ridiculous. Um, all right, and so so when – you know, so – the studio got to a point just before the pandemic where it was self-sufficient, you were teaching, so you were getting paid for what you were teaching. it was making a you know break even or a little bit better. and then the pandemic hit presumably just everything went to shit and <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like one nostril above water you know for the <laughs> i'm just I'm guessing here, but that was that was the experience of a lot of people i think was that yeah, was that I think so. How it
2: worked um, out for you?
1: were slightly better off than that I like we definitely got some funding from the government which made a difference um what year was that 2020 because I just merged the two companies together uh we had that higher turnover in the get-go and mm-hmm. then higher staff expenses as well Mm -hmm. to match and then a similar amount of profit at the bottom Mm
2: -hmm. and so
1: then in that first 2020 year we basically just did half of everything Mm -hmm. so we did worse off in general and it would have been nicer if we'd done the double but we didn't uh, completely crash and burn Uh, I managed to match all of the expenses with how much we were earning if that makes sense
2: Mm, And
1: we didn't have to pay for community centres because we weren't
0: using them and, you know. Mm. So, all right. And so it's now, we're now in uh, end of June 2022. Uh, I I don't know about New Zealand, but in Australia here, we've been basically out of lockdown for this whole year now, six months at least.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, And so, you know, when did, you know, what when you came out of lockdown sort of, end-ish of 2021, you know, was it back to kind of business as usual? And and when did you decide to sell and what prompted you to, to that decision?
1: Yeah, cool. Um, so definitely January, February of this year were slower than ever before and got me a little bit worried. I was like, God, we're open and we're, you know, spending money to run these classes, but we're just not getting them full. When are people going to come back? and like i said um, the studio itself tends to have quite an older clientele and so they're just a bit way worried more cautious. about
0: infectious infection yeah
1: absolutely and it's it's hard you can't compete with that if if they're worried about it you want to respect that and um, hopefully provide an alternative but they often don't want to do the online stuff either so they'd rather just have a break and come back when they feel safe uh, so, yeah, I was a little bit worried about what would happen. Um, but then kind of March ticked over and things started to pick back up and it's just done that every month up until now. So now we're kind of back to where we were pre-COVID and uh, things are looking a lot better. Um, there was another question you asked me. Oh, what stirred me to to look to sell?
2: Mm.
1: So I think um, – the experience that I've had or the kind of rough couple of years over the last two years that I've had has worn me out a little bit <laughs> and I realised it's quite stressful having other people's livelihoods in your hands and I wasn't sure that I was prepared to continue having other people's livelihoods in my hands. Um, and I also have gotten to the stage now when I first started my business, my motivations or my goal that I was working towards was getting back to being able to be a full-time dancer and not worry about money. And now over my journey, my priorities have changed to the point where I now am looking to start a family and would really love to be able to be a really active stay-at-home mom. Um, and... And, and and with that, my partner and I want to move down to Taranaki together, which is kind of in the middle of the North Island. Um, so I thought about ways that I could make those things happen whilst also running my business and thought about maybe putting a manager in up here in Auckland while I moved to Taranaki and then flying up every once in a while to check in on things. Um, and that's totally plausible and possible. But I wouldn't have the sweet relief that I'm hoping that I'm going to have of laying down in my bed at night and not having anything to worry about or Mm -hmm. any person texts me on a Saturday morning saying that they're locked out of somewhere or (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. someone texts me to say that they're sick and they can't find cover and now it's your problem. Uh, Yeah, so I think I've just reached the stage where, I feel like I've um, achieved a lot of the things that I wanted to achieve and am ready to move into a different type of challenge for my life. And part of that is also that along the way, I really enjoyed all of the training that I did of teachers and realized that that is really rewarding to be able to educate people who are really interested in what it is that they're learning. Um, I'm sure you can relate (laughs) Uh, and for a while I thought you know maybe that was where I wanted to head maybe I would start a teacher training business myself and that would be my next venture and then I think I found you guys and I realized that you're just already doing such a bloody good job at it (laughs) I was like why why start something that would compete with breathe when you could just join them you know so I think one of my ambitions is to to be able to teach with you guys or be associated with you in some way shape or form and the other ambition is I really enjoy teaching one-on-ones and I really love applying everything that I've learned particularly to one-on-ones I think uh, that my teaching of classes has improved dramatically through my training with you But I get a certain sense of joy from sharing a journey with someone who's struggling, who's going through pain, going through those challenges with them and being able to celebrate in their successes with them too at the end. And you just get to know people so much better when you're working with them one-on-one in ways that you can't, can't quite connect with people in classes. And I think that's, yeah, that's where my love is. So who knows what the next wee while looks like but i know it's definitely going to involve movement (laughs) and i'm always going to be learning and striving for something and maybe it'll include a little baby somewhere along the way
2: (laughs)
0: well i'm you know i'm i'm sure that well I, i guess i'm not sure but i imagine i actually i'm pretty sure um, <laughs> that your your own personal experience, you know, gives you a significant amount of empathy for people who are going through that journey, oh. and who maybe are fearful or feeling down about the whole thing, um, maybe in a lot of pain, um, oh. maybe have been given conflicting or disempowering messages by other, you know, well-meaning health professionals. So yeah, I can imagine that you get an enormous, enormous amount of satisfaction when you're able to help those people and watch them sort of move through that situation and get back to doing the things that they find meaningful in their life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, sorry to interrupt, but I I would say the the biggest thing that I've learned from doing the diploma really. Is is literally just around the biopsychosocial model, like recognizing that that's a thing, understanding what it is, and then understanding the massive impact that psychosocial factors play on a person's experience of pain or experience of movement or journey in general. Um, And I would say, like, uh, you and I had an interview kind of after my first module, and I was still the stage where I think I asked you the question like how much of this Pilates technique thing do we let go of and how much do we hold on to you know and my the identity that I had given to Pilates was that it was the set of rules and if you fell within these sets of set of rules then you were doing Pilates and if you kind of wandered outside them then you weren't and now my my identity that I've given to Pilates is just so much broader than that it's it's much more like you're dealing with a human and a human comes with a lot of complicated things and those need addressing sometimes and sometimes the biggest thing that you're the biggest impact that you're going to have on them is actually just your ability to Give them a simple movement and congratulate them for it, or empower them to explore something themselves, whether they get it right or wrong. Not like, "Yay, you did three sets of footwork in three different positions, and you know now you've graduated to the next level," um, which is really cool. It's it's cool to recognise and to feel so much more confident with that. Actually, like you don't really need to sweat all the minute details. If you're empowering someone and they're moving, and they feel good, like you're doing your job, you're doing it bloody well.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, even though you're still not quite yet finished the diploma, you you're almost there. But uh, yeah. it seems to me you've you've already taken all of the important all of the important uh, take home messages from it. Try. <laughs> um. But you never know, we've got the shoulder coming up. That yeah. might, might be different. <laughs> maybe the minutiae are important when it comes to the shoulder.
2: Who knows?
0: But it's not about, not about psychosocial factors.
2: Maybe
1: it's just about strengthening specifically the subscapularis.
0: <laughs> maybe, that, maybe it Maybe just have to wait and see. <laughs> um, it, it, is, it is interesting, isn't it, that... Um, And that's been my experience of teaching the diploma and teaching over the last decade or more. That, um, you know, there's a meme that goes around on social media that I see every now and then. It's got a picture of some supermodel saying, oh, you know, looks aren't important. And then Bill Gates saying, oh, money isn't important. (laughs) And (laughs) um, and then I always imagine, you know, and it, you know, a, Someone in my situation, like I know, an, a biopsychosocial practitioner, saying, "Oh, anatomy is not important. Alignment's not important
2: yeah. um,
0: <laughs> for for rehabilitation." And the thing is that I've been trying to convince. I tried to convince people of that for years, and uh, it was actually that anatomy course that Ruchi signed up for in sort of March twenty twenty or April twenty twenty, whenever it was. That. Where we had like 650 people enroll in that, it was crazy. Amazing. Um, yeah. Um, uh, that that really, um, I just did. I decided to do that spontaneously because a lot of I knew a lot of instructors were sitting at home. I thought, hey, let's let's get together and connect over Zoom and geek out over anatomy, just because it's fun, you know. Yeah.
1: Um, just because I would find it fun.
0: <laughs> and so you know, we just talked about this body part and that body part. We went into super detail about you know, cellular functioning and all the rest of it. And so we, we had a lot of fun. And and it was at that point where, I, you know, through various conversations I had with people, probably Ruchi, Ruchi amongst them, that I realized that actually people, you know, just like Linda Evangelista, uh, understands that even, you know, freakishly good-looking people still aren't happy all the time and still have problems, you know, (laughs) and just like Bill Gates realises that money doesn't solve all problems. It solves money problems, but it doesn't solve your other problems.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Also creates a lot of problems. (laughs) Right.
0: And, you know, but, but it's really hard to see that from the outside, right? -hmm. If you're struggling to pay the rent, it's really hard to see how money wouldn't make you a bit happier, you know? Um, (laughs) Um. And and I think same the same way for a lot of uh, movement professionals, Pilates instructors, it's really hard to see how anatomy actually isn't that important Mm. for rehab until you really understand anatomy, and then you go, "Oh yeah, I get it's not that actually that important." (laughs) Like it's interesting, it's fascinating. It's
1: fascinating, and (laughs) you can geek out on it for
0: hours. (laughs) But it doesn't actually change what you do a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think like especially. Um, all the stats that we get in our lectures around, you know, like what does make an impact and what we what we don't know about this topic or all of that kind of really helps you build a picture of what is important and what's not important. And it's so much easier to drink the Kool-Aid once you've really looked at that research and gone, oh, no. yeah, okay, wow, shit, we really don't know that much or, oh, we've really done a lot of research in that area and we've proven that this is what's important and this is not what's important. Um, yeah. It just makes it so much more of a natural pro- process to the point where, you know, you can see what's coming up on the lecture for next week. And um, I think I wrote in my my learning reflection, you know, next week we're going to learn what to do for the neck, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to say reassurance and advice to stay active.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I've become too predictable. <laughs> Uh, well, that's great. I mean, um, and you know, I mean, as you know, we go into, you know, mind boggling depth in the, in the detail of the anatomy through the diploma. And, and at the end of the diploma, you really do fucking know anatomy, but
2: mm.
0: the, the paradox is you're much less concerned with anatomy,
2: not yeah. <laughs> <by the,
0: laughs> <So> true. <laughs> um, but you really know it. And, mm. and, uh, Yeah, it's funny. Well, yes, I do. Uh, It's it's interesting because the whole it's sort of like the whole alchemist's journey of Paulo Coelho, where you you know the the main characters. I see you know because you're nodding, but uh, for those who don't know, it basically this character goes on off on this big quest, you know, to find this great treasure. Then he goes, you know, across lands and across seas and across mountains and across rivers, and you know, talks to different people and has different struggles and challenges. Eventually, finds his way all the way back to where the treasure is, and it's buried under his barn or something like that you know it's like in his (laughs) in his backyard and he digs it up and it's like oh it was here the whole time (laughs) um and and you know it's a great little fable and but basically the the meaning i take from that is like well you you can't appreciate sometimes you can't appreciate things until you actually go on a whole journey and then you come full circle and you see things with different eyes than you saw you know before um and so i think that's the journey that we've we've created with the diploma is like when you come in you think like oh it can't be that simple, like try not to worry about it and just get moving. You'll be right. Uh, and then you go through this whole journey and you learn all of the body parts and the anatomy and the physiology and the pathophysiology and the biomechanics and the pain science and the, all of that. And you come back to the and you go, oh, yeah, just try not to worry about it and get moving. moving. you will probably right. <laughs> but and but you're I think. So
1: right. At the beginning, you just can't see how you would ever be that chill about it. Yeah. And then, as you go through it, you gain this confidence along the way that that just happens without you even realizing it. Where you're like, "Oh wow, shit! Tissues are really strong. They can handle right. a lot of load. Far out. All right. Why were we freaking out about like you're not a neutral?" and And then it just it, it becomes innate. And so by the end, there's like, "Of course, I believe that. Why wouldn't I believe that?"
0: Right. And and I think you just hit hit put your finger on it there where. You, when you actually truly understand the tissues, right? And you go, oh fuck, they're really fucking strong.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, we don't need to worry about that. So it's only from actually understanding it that you can genuinely not feel anxious about it because, like, yep. you you understand that it's it's robust and it's you know not going to explode if you bend.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> huh. Yeah. So the future holds for you. Yeah, maybe maybe associating with us in some fashion. Maybe having and some kind of offspring.
2: Um yep.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe uh seeing some clients at home or on slash online.
1: Yeah.
0: Would you prefer online or at home or in person?
1: I think I'd probably prefer in person. I quite like like being in the same room, but I like online as well.
0: Are you gonna keep any of your Pilates equipment?
1: I'm gonna sell it all and then buy myself some really nice new stuff.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah.
2: Oh yeah. That's gonna, I'm gonna be have fun. A
1: dedicated Pilates room in my house. Yes. I'm so yes. Excited
2: about it.
0: <laughs> yes, that is so awesome. I'm I'm fortunate enough to have my own space. I've got a reformer down there, a bunch of exercise equipment, so and that good. that is one of the things like that has made such a major difference to my quality of life is mm-hmm. having that dedicated space where I can just go and move.
1: Yeah.
0: And, yeah, it's so Gems amazing.
1: tunes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, I definitely highly recommend that. Um, well, so I guess, you know, on reflection, in terms of your journey as a business owner,
2: mm.
0: you know, for all the people out there either, you know, aspiring to, own a business or maybe people who are in the throes of, you know, starting their own, starting a business or people have been running it for ages and might be very successful or might be struggling. It's like, do you have any general purpose advice for everybody? <laughs> like what, what are you,
1: <laughs> what are your reflections?
0: What are your three, three bullet points that's going to solve for world peace for everybody?
1: Uh, I think, um, I attribute a lot of my success to my tenacity. Um, Just sheer like stubbornness, really. I'm a Taurus and I just don't take no for an answer. So I will push until it becomes what I want it to become or uh, until I get where I want it to get. And that means sometimes like really sacrificing things in your life. Um, And I think, you know, along the journey, I really sacrificed a lot of my friendships Um, and my friendships became the people that I worked with and they were the people that I spent the most time with. And they were the people I wanted to hang out with on the weekend because they were the people that I had spent time with. Um, And sometimes that can feel a little bit difficult to make those decisions, to make those choices of what, what it is that you're going to sacrifice. Um, but I always had in the back of my mind this big goal that I was trying to get towards, and um, mm. and um I'm really proud of myself that, you know, I'm 32, and this year I'm probably going to sell my business for a decent chunk of money that's going to enable me to buy a house. And that feels pretty awesome, you know? I, and I know a lot of other people, you know, in, in different career pathways have reached the point where they can buy a house. Um, but whenever it was hard, I just kept looking at the fact that, yes, I was paying myself a wage to work, but I was also building something that was bigger than me. And I was building mm. myself an asset that one day would be worth something. Mm. And that was really motivating for me. Um, I think I am like, I, I think I've always been quite financially driven, um, but I also had to find a real purpose that satisfied me for my day-to-day, and that was all about the people just because I'm such a people person. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's a whole lot of stuff, and that's not said very eloquently. But I think maybe the, the key is, like, decide your why and have a be have a big, hairy, audacious goal. And make sure that you check in on that goal regularly and make sure that what you're doing is pushing you towards that goal, but that that goal still still serves you because the landscape changes. Like we all know that now from COVID that the industry can change dramatically and your clients can change and your own life can change. So
2: mm.
1: if you can, you know, check in on that regularly and just make sure that what you're doing is serving you. Then I think you'll, yeah, you'll feel satisfied and be able to stop and have that glass of champagne along the way.
0: I would, uh, I would disagree about the stubborn bit. Oh
2: really? Um, yeah, because
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe you mean a different thing by the word than I do, but but to me, stubborn implies like unwilling to change or you know mm-hmm. digging in and, and not sort of giving ground. Mm-hmm. And to me, I see that you've displayed incredible grit. Like you're really stuck to, you know, you've grinded out, you know, those years of effort and you've, yeah. you've, but you've been very flexible with your course corrections mm. and you're, you know, like you've, now you've decided that, you know, you're ready to move on to the next phase of your life and you, you're happily letting go. So yeah. that to me is not stubborn. That is flexible thinking.
1: Yeah, cool. Okay, we'll go with
0: your one. <laughs> um, but I I agree with you that uh, you know under that having having a why is really important. And I also agree with what you kind of implicitly said is that you need a selfish motivation as well as a something that's bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I think if you're just serving others and it's like just nothing but a cost to yourself it's like that's not a recipe for happiness no that's
1: um, a recipe for burnout
0: <laughs> right but if you're just serving yourself and it's a cost to others well that's not a recipe for happiness either i think you know that's that's that leads that way leads you know spiritual bankruptcy mm. so i think you're right you have to have both and you know for some people that self um might yeah you know, that self reward might be financial for others it might be other things but a lifestyle you know um, mm. But, but I think you've got to get something out of it personally, a, as well as you've got to feel like you're giving something and and making the world a better place. And I think undoubtedly you have done that. You know, with the the, the team that you've you know provided a, a a living, you know, for, and that you've provided experiences and trained. And like I'm sure, you know, Emily and Richie have you know they've both spoken highly of you to me, and
2: mm. I know
0: you've created an amazing. In your work environment there where they've each flourished and oh. I can only imagine that your clients have you know got an immense amount of personal growth and satisfaction and, and benefit from the business that you created so you know I mean I don't know I don't know how I feel about the concept of legacy but I think you've at least you know you've cast a pebble into the into the pond and there's definitely ripples that extend beyond your you know immediate self and those okay. ripples will be felt, I think, by those people for a long time to come. And, you know, I know when I look back at the people who have been, you know, influential in my life in a positive way, uh, a lot of them aren't aware of me, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's like some guy I found on the internet who teaches anatomy in freaking Dakota or something, you know, like, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> And and I I you know I, I don't know but I'm pr- I'm pretty confident that you know your clients even maybe the clients that you didn't teach personally but that were taught by people that who you'd trained, yeah,
2: trained you know yeah.
0: that you've had a significant impact on their lives um, and you know so I think that's something that you should always you know you can always cherish and you've got lots of opportunities to crack open a bottle of champagne
1: yeah. in the future
0: you know just just on the back totally. of
1: that. Just on a Wednesday night. Why not? (laughs) Thanks, Raph. That's really sweet. I really appreciate all that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks so much, Phoebe. Um, This has been a really, uh, I guess, inspiring, um, fascinating, uh, insightful conversation for me. Um, I hope hope those listening have got something valuable from it. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for for coming on.
1: Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me.